Our sermon reading is from Matthew 6. It's a little bit broken up. It's verses 1 through 6, followed by verses 16 through 21. You should be asking yourself, what's, what's in the hole of the donut there? What's the part that's missing? That's the Lord's Prayer. We'll have to preach on it some other time. It's a big enough topic for itself. But uh, this morning, we'll be looking at, as, as exactly as Pastor Victoria said, this admonition in the Sermon on the Mount that whatever works of righteousness or acts of righteousness that we are commanded to do which are good, how important it is to do those out of the right motive and, and, for, and in secret so that we don't do it to put it on display for other people to admire us, but we do it because we want to please God, because we love God. And, and here is one of those places where you know, we, there's some people who would love to put the Ten Commandments on the wall at the courthouse and in every classroom in America, and that's great. But I sure would love to see the Sermon on the Mount on the wall of the classroom and on the courthouse wall. But this one especially is much harder because it's not, it's not a law that you can use as a weapon against anybody else in this world, which is sometimes how law is used. This is a law that points the fingers directly into your own heart and says, Look at your motivation. Even when you're doing a good thing, be sure you do it for the right reason. Because if you're doing it for the wrong reason, as we heard even Pastor Victoria read, and this is the first verse that we're about to read, you lose the reward that you really want in exchange for a reward that does not last and will decay and be, be stolen and fall apart. And so this is the law that I, I could never use this as a weapon on anyone else to tell them to do it. This is only something I can read and read for myself and say, what is my motivation? Am I coming before the Lord in humility? Do I seek to please God rather than impress other people, as the Apostle Paul put it? So, we need to be aware of our motivation. Let's go to our reading. Our reading is from Matthew 6, 1 through 6 and 16 through 21, page 960. Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face 
so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't this a great passage? It gets right to the heart of things, to the motivation of what's going on. And I, I want to bring three themes together, because they're all intertwined in this, and they're all connected to each other. And the, th the three themes that we've just seen here is to not do something as a hypocrite, and that was, did you notice that was repeated three times? Don't be like the hypocrites. And actually that word hypocrite is the same word to describe somebody who was an actor on a stage. We, we think hypocrite is, it's a bad word in our language. Back, back then it just meant an actor, an actor who put on a show for the sake of other people. And so it, it's become a bit of a negative term now, but back then it just meant the actors, the actors that you would see on the stage. Um, people playing a part that is not real for the sake of an audience. The second theme in this is secrecy. Did you notice that? Secrecy. Do these things in secret. Pray in secret. Fast in secret, right? If you're going to give charity to somebody, give it in such a way so secretly that your right hand doesn't even know that your left hand is doing it, if that's possible, right? Um, so do it in secret so that only God sees it. It's not a show. It's not a play. It's not for the benefit of other people. It's because you please God. It's because you've been called by God into it. Uh, and then the third thing is that there are two different rewards for doing it two different ways. If you do it for the sake of gaining the applause and admiration of people, you get one kind of reward. And that reward you receive in full, and you get no rewards beyond that. But if you do it for God because you want to please God, you get an entirely different reward, a reward that lasts, a reward that actually is worth having. And they're mutually exclusive rewards, Jesus says. You cannot have both of them. Interesting. If you're going to have the reward from people, you're not going to get the reward from God. Ouch! This is scary stuff, right? You want to be careful about this. Uh, I don't want to go too far into it, because I, I do think when you come to faith, you have this one ultimate reward in Christ that cannot be taken away from you. Let's, let's remember that. But there are these other rewards about doing things that God has called you into that have their own beauty and their own power, and we lose them if we go about doing things with, for the wrong reasons. So, I want to remember one thing about the culture that Jesus was in, and I've talked about this before, it was something known as an honor and shame culture. In an honor and shame culture, it was very important to you, actually vitally important, and by vitally, I mean your life depended on it. It was vitally important to you that people thought well of you. Because if people thought poorly of you, there were all sorts of opportunities that you would not have. One example is, if you, people thought poorly of you, if you had low honor, if you had shame uh, hanging over you or on your family, you may not find work. You may not find a suitable spouse or an advantageous spouse. 
you might not be invited to feasts and, and other things where people network and deals are made. You'll be sort of cut out of society. And so there's this built-in sort of lifeline of honor that if my honor is high, uh, it could mean the difference between eating and not eating. It could mean the difference between me selling myself into slavery so that I can feed my family or me having enough and me having work. And, and so, you know, this, this isn't just like we, we don't look at this other culture and go, oh, how, how confused they were or how misguided they were. That's just how it worked. And so you had to do things that would raise your own honor because on some level your life depended on it. And one of the things you would do to raise your own honor is do things publicly that were admirable. So people would go, oh, what a great guy or what a great lady. Look, look at how she takes care of the poor. And your honor would go up and people say, well, that's a good family. We can trust them. We'll let our daughter marry their son. And these bonds will be made that will sustain a community. But and so what Jesus is asking people to do is to subvert or overthrow on some level this whole honor-shame system. And you can imagine what people might have said to him. Like, are you asking us not, not to take every opportunity to raise our own stock in the community? That's like suicide, Jesus. Why would we do this? We need that. Because if we don't, if we don't try to honor ourselves, nobody else is going to honor us unless they want some honor in return. It's, it's, it's kind of like the currency of the time. And, and another thing is it was kind of a way of keeping the community working. There wasn't a really reliable judicial system there. There wasn't a really reliable, uh, if you had a complaint against somebody else, you could try to go to the courts, but unless you bribed them, you really wouldn't get much out of it. And so the whole honor-shame system kind of kept things in line, and it, it kept people who were criminals kind of on the outside, and it rewarded good behavior. And it, it had to do because they lived in an imperfect system in an imperfect world. And so uh, it's, it's easy for us to read this and say, oh, I, I can try to get by without other people's admiration. But when Jesus said it to the people back then, it was like a thunderclap. Because they would say, well, that turns our whole world upside down. What are we going to rely on for security if we're not going to rely on our honor? Well, Jesus has some answers for that. So what he's saying to these people is, is really challenging, but yet... Um, it's challenging to us. It's completely, uh, completely uh, challenging to us. <coughs> so, one, I um, kind of lost my place here because I just got so excited. But so, the, so uh, oh, I see where I am. Um, what people did back then and, and this is true, is if you had some money, if you had some extra money, which was rare, if you actually had some extra money and you could actually give some alms to somebody else, and you had some money to share, and you wanted to actually give it to somebody who was poor, like a beggar by the side of the road or something like that, you would make for absolute sure that you did it in the right place and at the right time. The, the time of day when everybody's already out there going to the market. The time, of, the time of day when everybody is kind of paying attention to what you're doing. And you might make a big show. You know, you'd pull your wallet out, and you'd open it up, and you'd start counting the bills in kind of an exaggerated way. And then you'd plop it down here in the beggar's bowl just so everybody sees. And the spotlight's on me right now. This feels great. It's like, yes! And then you kind of 
scan the crowd, make sure, okay, he saw me, he saw me, he saw me. He, he's not paying attention. I'm going to wait till he turns his head. Then I put the money in, you know, because it's a waste of money if I'm not getting honor out of this transaction. I need to do it so that my stock goes up. One of the commentators I read said that actually what, what you're doing in that transaction is you're not giving anything. You're buying something. Does that make sense? You're buying your own honor by giving to this poor person. It's really not about this person anymore. It's about you. It's about your reputation. It's about what's going to benefit you in the long run. And, and as so many other places where God talks about the kinds of sacrifices that he wants, there's all sorts of sacrifices that he doesn't want. Really showy sacrifices. He's not that interested in. He's interested in the heart. And in, in this case, Jesus says, don't give that way. Stop giving that way. If you've been giving that way, stop giving that way. Your father sees you. He knows your heart. Give in secret. So you then instead, you would come at midnight. The marketplace is empty. Everybody's gone to sleep. You have an envelope that you've already put the money in. You take it out of your pocket and you just drop it in there as you walk by. Nobody knows but you and the person who received it and God knows. And Jesus says, your reward is a one of two kinds. If you did it in front of people, you get that reward here and now, but it won't last. You have to keep doing it. It's like a never-ending treadmill. But the other reward is a reward in heaven. Your Father will keep track of it for you, and you will not lose it. Moth, moth and rust will not decay it. A thief can never break into heaven's vault to steal it. It's safe with God then. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I, I talked to, last week I talked about some people in the church that I used to serve. And they said, we give as good as we get so that people don't mess with us. And their kids said the same thing. And I thought, oh, that's how they learned that. Well, at, at the same church, and uh, I'll, by the way, I will never say anything about this church when I go to my next church. I promise you. Got a fingers crossed here. No, I'm, no but really, this is... This is um, Unnamed, it could have been three churches ago, four churches ago, I'll never tell you. Um, but I, as I was getting to know the congregation, I went to visit a, a nice family in the church, and somehow it came up. They said, by the way, over the years that we've been in the church, we've given more than $100,000 to the church. And, and so then I, I kind of was like, what do I say right now? Thank you? I, I think I said thank you. I, I, said, I said, well, thank you. And then I thought, uh, do you want it back? I, why are you telling me this? Or do you want something in return? Are we supposed to, are, are you supposed to get your way a little bit more than other people who haven't given that much? I, I didn't know what was going on. I was a little confused. Um, do you, do you want to get away with some kind of dysfunctional behavior? Is this your ticket for that? You know, like, oh, well, we can't, we can't mess with them because they're good givers. Um, but I, you know, don't tell me that stuff. And nobody here has, praise God, don't tell me that stuff. I don't want to know it. I shouldn't know it. And you probably shouldn't know it about each other. Only one person who counts the offering knows it, and they have to know it so they can send you a letter. And then hopefully they promptly forget it. Right, Clark? You just, psh, it's gone. You know, and I found as you get older, it's easier to forget things anyways. So, if, you know, you just put the paper, and you'll get a thing in the mail at tax time. You know, in the same town... The Catholic Church, I'm not kidding, the Catholic Church 
had a wall. And on that wall was a record, not just of all the members, but how much money they had given in the year, and it was updated weekly. And I, I was flabbergasted. I was like, is this supposed to motivate you? Is this supposed to shame you? Is this supposed to, is this so we can keep track? We don't do that. You know, we don't have a lot of secrets, but that's one of the secrets is, you know, I don't want to know how much you gave to the church. And so I just, it's funny how sometimes life sort of brings the scriptures to, to reality or to life. And so it was just one of those things. Give so that it's in secret. And here somebody gave and then kind of blew their own trumpet. As Jesus said, you'll have to blow your own trumpet and talk about what you gave. And I love I loved them. I love them. We had many great times together. And so it's, we, all have, we all have sort of areas where we, um, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you about one of mine, just so to even it up. I'll tell you, in just a minute, I'll tell you about one of mine, just to even things up. Um, so the, what, Jesus, what else Jesus says is that we don't want to be, be like hypocrites. We don't want to be like actors. That hypocrite... It points to this layer of falseness. It seems like you're doing something holy, you're giving or you're praying or you're fasting, but it loses its sincerity when it's a show for others. And so the antidote to hypocrisy, he says, is secrecy. Actors don't do anything in secret. They do everything in public. But secrecy is the antidote to hypocrisy. And so we're told to be like our Father in heaven. He's unseen by us, and so our acts of righteousness should also be unseen by everybody except for him and perhaps the people who, are, who benefit from them. And we are commanded to do all these things. We are, and these are three great spiritual disciplines. Fasting is a great spiritual discipline. Prayer is an incredible spiritual discipline. And, and giving to the poor or giving to those in need is a wonderful spiritual discipline. They are all commanded. Jesus is nowhere saying, don't hear this. Jesus is nowhere saying here, do not do these things. He's not saying that. He's saying absolutely do these things, but look at your own motivation. Do them in secret so that you are not tempted into thinking that you're going to earn other people's respect and reward from it. Only doing it for God's sake is what's, in, what's important. The most beautiful phrase in the middle of this when he talks about giving is give so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Can you imagine that? Now that's hyperbole because think of how many things we do to, with both hands together. So if I'm going to lift something like, you know, a plate, I guess I could lift a plate with one hand, but say it's a big plate, you know. I'm going to lift a platter. My hands have to agree with each other. This one says, okay, we're going to lift a platter now. And this one says, I'm kind of tired, but okay. And we lift it up and we go someplace. So they have to work together. Our whole body is one unit. You know, you can't really... Tell your, have your left hand tell, not tell your right hand what it's doing. It's impossible. But this is the point of kind of hyperbole. It's one of the figures of speech that Jesus loves to use. You should be so secret that half of you doesn't even know what you're doing when you're doing these good things. And then the other half promptly forgets about it. And God can keep track of it, and God will keep track of it. But do it in secret. That's how, I love it. Now, generally... It's not so great to have secrets, is it? It's hard to have secrets, especially if you have secrets from some people and other people you share them with. 
You always have to keep track of who knows and who doesn't know who, what you say in front of other people. And in the Christian faith, as much as possible, we have no secrets whatsoever. The proclamation of the gospel is completely out there. It's printed in the book, you know. We don't have like a special section that's encrypted and you get a key, a password and a keyword to unlock this part of the Bible. And after you've been in the church for 20 years or you've given so much money, this is how Scientology works, by the way, is once you reach the level, then they open up the final book for you and you get to read for the holies of the holies of their scriptures, which is about, I'm not kidding, about how 80 million years ago the Dark Lord Zenu came from a foreign planet and put all the souls of all the people in the universe inside a volcano and blew it up with nuclear bombs. I'm not making this up. That's the secret knowledge that you have to pay $250,000 to get in Scientology. Sorry, sorry, Scientology, I spilled your, spilled your secrets. I, I broke the law just now. We don't have that. You can look that up. It's very funny. It's really sad, too, actually. We don't have that. Everything we have is out there. We don't really want to keep secrets from each other. We don't want to keep secrets from the world. There's no secret knowledge in our faith. There's none of that. It's all open. The only secrets that we're enjoined to have at all that I can tell from Scripture is the secrecy of doing our good deeds in such a way that we do them for God alone and not for anybody else. Praise God for that. And um, in this case, secrecy is easier, right? I don't have to worry about who's watching. I don't have to make sure that all the faces are lined up before I do the thing. I don't have to go through that trouble. I just do it. And whether see, someone sees me or not, that's not my problem. I just follow what God asks me to do, and that's a great thing. <coughs> um, sometimes it seems like we're praising ourselves when we're talking about things, um, and we, we, we think that we can do that in sort of a, a way that nobody will notice, um, kind of slip it in. Uh, so we're, we're talking about trying to win people's approval, win people's respect. Uh, it's called a humble brag. Have you heard about this? A humble brag is when you say something that kind of makes you sound like a little less, but you pepper in something there that is kind of lofty. And so you could say, uh, you know, it was, a, it was really a challenge to understand what they were saying when I was invited to the White House, but finally I caught on, you know. It made it sound like I wasn't that really smart, but I just dropped in that a guy invited to the White House. I shouldn't say the White House because we're, we're having troubles there right now, but some other place, the, the Buckingham Palace. All right, well, that's pretty neutral, right? I went to Buckingham Palace, and I had a hard time digesting the chicken, but I got through it, you know. So. Well, that's a humble brag. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to act like I'm humble and like I don't really care what you think, but I can't help myself from dropping that in there. And they found scientifically that people spot a humble brag a mile away. It's, it's, like, it's like putting it on a megaphone. And they say that actually the people, when there's a humble brag, the opinion of the people listening to it is actually that lower of you than if you just said the brag by itself. So if you just said, I went to Buckingham Palace, it was awesome, they'd be like, oh, that's good for you. You're kind of bragging right now, but I get it. But if you kind of humble brag it, they're like, not only are you bragging, but you're trying to act like you're not, and you're not fooling anybody, and I like you less now. It's crazy, but that scientifically has been proven. So we, we have all these temptations. Um, for kind of putting ourselves out there, making ourselves seem great to other people, whether it's the way we give, the way we pray, 
the way we fast, or any of these other spiritual disciplines. And Jesus says, be careful. Watch out. Um, and I think one of the challenges in this is that we grow up thinking this way as children, as children who want to please our parents. You go to school and you get grades, and you want to impress your teachers, and you want to impress your classmates. And then you go off to college and you want to do the same thing with your professors and your classmates there, and then you get a job, and you, you kind of want to impress your employer, don't you? Because you want to raise, you want a promotion. You think, actually, that's how the world works, is we put ourselves out there. We trumpet our own successes. We talk about ourselves in a positive way. And it just goes to show again and again how the kingdom is upside down from the world. The kingdom says, don't do it that way. In the world, maybe you have to do that way. Maybe at your work, you have to do some of that. But in the kingdom, we don't do that. It creeps into our lives. I said I would... I would throw a little shade on myself, and I will right now. I remember years ago, uh, I, I used to work for IBM. And, and at the time, I was super proud of it. Like, this was a great company. I used to play on the IBM PC, and I thought, this is amazing. What a great company. And I actually got a job with IBM right out of college. And, um, and then they promptly sold the division I was in to another company called L'Oreal. And that felt less exciting. Like, nobody had heard of L'Oreal. And L'Oreal has since been bought by Martin Marietta, and now it's called Lockheed Martin and all sorts of things. So it's, it's one of many mergers and acquisitions several ago. Um, but when I was a, an intern pastor, uh, I was, we had a sort of a young people's group, and there was a, a woman in the group named Jeanette, and she was very observant. She kind of watched me, kinda, and she kind of minded my P's and Q's for me in a nice way. And she noticed that sometimes when I was talking, the IBM would kind of show up in the conversation where it really didn't belong. It just kind of showed up, you know. So she'd, she'd notice that, you, you know, you, you kind of talk about how you used to work at IBM more than really is warranted in any conversation. So once, she, she was we were introducing some newcomers, and she said, I'll introduce you, Hans Eric. And she said, this is Hans Eric. He's our intern pastor. He used to work at IBM. <laughs> and, and she had this kind of smile on her face. So praise God she did it in sort of a playful way, a kind of a kind way. And, and from then on, I was like, Jeanette, you got me. I've been tooting that horn pretty long, pretty hard. I don't need to drop IBM into every, it wasn't every conversation, but more conversations than actually warranted it, you know. Um, and now IBM's kind of like, I don't know, even know what IBM's up to. It's kind of a dinosaur. You don't, you know, it's Facebook, Google, uh, Apple, HP, right? You know, they're the top four. I had to say HP, sorry. I'm not sure if it's really true. HP might be like IBM, but maybe better. These dinosaur companies, I'm not sure I'd be proud to say I used to work at IBM anymore anyways. But back then I was like, somehow my identity was wrapped up in this and uh, it was helpful that a Christian sister came to me in kind of a fun way and just said, hey, we've heard enough about that, you know, move on. And I did, thank God. Um, one of the questions I think we can ask is, you know, we do these things to impress other people. Our acts of kindness, our acts of piety, our pedigree, where we worked, where we went to school, the family we grew up in. Does that impress God? Does it impress God? 
how could it? I mean, I, I think about the people building that tower. They're like, this will really make a name for ourselves. God comes down and he's not really impressed. He's not really worried that they can do anything. He's not really worried that they're going to contend with him. He's not really worried that they're going to reach the heavens in any particular way. He's like, I'm just going to stop this now because they're really wasting their time and I love them. And I want them to get off their own selves so that they can go out into the world and do other things. God's not impressed. He's not impressed. So I, I don't think I can spend any time impressing God. We can spend a lot of money and time and energy and emotion on our reputations, but God wants to save us from ourselves. And the kingdom says that we don't need to impress other people either. This is the interesting thing. The upside-down part of the kingdom is, uh, do you need to really impress other people? Do you need to do that? And Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.10, we read it just a few minutes ago, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And here's the dichotomy, the choice. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't do both. It's really hard. You can't do both. You cannot please people and God at the same time. And, and I'm learning as I get older that I don't have time to impress people anymore. What they think of me is probably a little important, but it's not nearly as important as what God thinks of me. And God loves me, and God loves you. God cares for you so much, he gave his son to die for you. God created you and looks at you and says, it is good, that is all you need. You don't need to impress anyone else. Now, I do aim to please people, the people uh, as an act of love to them. Hopefully, I can do it in a secret way, in a way where I don't expect anything return, any return, even their praise. My aim, I hope, this is the ideal, my aim is to please God. How simple life is when your only aim is to please God. And you can let the rest fall where it will. Uh, I can impress him. He called the universe into existence with a word. I don't think he's impressed by my knowledge or my skill or my creativity or anything about me, but he loves me because he made me and he gave his son for me. And so I aim to please God, and th that's the simplest way forward. Now, there's, there's three spiritual disciplines mentioned here, and uh, there's a whole host of, them, uh, of, of other ones, spiritual disciplines. All of them are good, and all of them are loaded with the same temptation. Am I doing this to please myself? or please other people, or impress other people? Or am I doing it to please God? That's the motivation question. That's the heart of it. And what makes this simple is that the answer is usually easy to determine. I can kind of tell what pleases God. I have a pretty good sense of what pleases God. God is pretty clear about that. He wants us, he wants us to serve him and please him. It's how I'm doing it. Does that please God? Is my motivation to make myself look good? Or is doing what God commands a reward in itself? And so it comes to rewards. There's the reward now by getting people to love what, what you, you and what you're doing. But then you worry about rust and decay and thieves coming in and destroying it. And your reputation, it needs a constant tending to it. It takes a constant stream of your attention and time and energy. It's stressful. Here's what I figured out. If my self-esteem depends too much 
on what other people think of me, I will start doing some really strange things to keep myself feeling good. And here are some of the things I'll do. I will name drop IBM, or you name it, or something else, in all sorts of places where it isn't called for. I will maneuver people so that they see me doing great things, or hear me saying smart things. You know, I'm going to kind of manipulate my environment so that I get the maximal benefit of all the great stuff I'm doing. This is what I'll do if what they think of me really matters to me too much. I will buy my reputation instead of give to people in need. I will, in essence, become a leech on other people, sucking affirmation out of them, whether they want to give it to me or not. It's a violation of their personhood on some level to take and take and take affirmation from other people. I just don't want to live that way. No thanks. The alternative reward, the one that does not decay, the one that you have to wait for, though, it comes later, it comes in heaven. Except there is the moment, right now, the satisfaction that we're pleasing the Father alone. And that is, he's indeed pleased with us. And if you live with us long enough, you realize that that is actually the sweetest reward, knowing that you're doing what God asks you to do in the way that God asks you to do it. Uh, and it's immune to decay, it's immune to theft, it's not on display. It's stored up safely in heaven with God. And when I live this way, and I'm not saying that I do, but I seek to, when I seek to please God rather than impress other people, there is such freedom in my life. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't have to worry what other people think of me. I only have to worry about pleasing God, and I already know what he thinks about me. He loves me. And, he, and, and I'm getting reward right now because God loves what I'm doing. Someone else can love what I'm doing or they could even hate it. It almost doesn't matter. But if I'm pleasing God, I know whose opinion counts more. And I don't need to maneuver other people. And I have the freedom of humility and the freedom of authenticity. I can be who I am, the person that God made me to be. And all the joy that comes with that. And so I say thanks be to God that Scripture can sharpen an issue like this in such a way that the choices become clear. Do we want to impress people? Or do we want to please God? And you almost can't do both. You almost can't do both. And there's a reward for each. And the reward for impressing people is very momentary. You get it all in full right on the spot, and there's no residuals, there's no back payments, there's no subscription. It's done. And then you have to keep doing it. But if you live to please God, you have an eternal reward that will never decay and never fail. It's safe, and you don't have to worry about it. It's always there. And it's a reward in itself in this lifetime. Praise God. So we remember that God loves us no matter what. You don't need to impress God. Um, and this part of the Sermon on the Mount seems to be telling me that you don't need to impress anyone else either. That's not your job. That's not your calling in life. We have before us the pure joy of people who seek to please God above all else. And that's a spiritual discipline for every day. And so I've actually added it to my list. Some of you I've told this list. I have at the top of my to-do list every day things that are never really done, but things I want to do every, uh, every day. One of them came from Pam. 
which was to see other people through God's eyes. Thanks for that one. But I've, I have on my list, dream of things to let go of, to find beauty, to prioritize my energy on life and healthy things, to see other people through God's eyes, and just this morning I added, seek to please God in all that I do. That's my to-do list. I'm not saying I do this every day, but I'm saying this is what I want every day. I want to please God and let the rest fall where it will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are indeed pleased with us. And thank you, Lord, for that future day when you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into your rest. Father, help us to examine our own hearts, our own minds, our own motivations, and to serve you with authenticity and sincerity. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.